You're listening to a sermon from Together Church in Hobart. We're a place to belong and a place to explore belief in Jesus. If you'd like to connect with us or find out more about our missional communities, please visit togetherchurch.com.au. Hi, everyone. Uh, so I've, I know most people here, but I'm Daniel. I'm uh, one of the pastors from Together Church. And look, it's just fantastic to see everyone here. It's great to be here on a beautiful spring day. It's amazing. And look, today is uh, Father's Day, as we know. And look, Father's Day, I think, is a fantastic way to celebrate masculinity and manhood within our culture. It celebrates and honours the importance of men in our society, which I think is really, really valuable and important. Um, You know, masculinity and manhood, it it can be undervalued at times, I think, in our culture. And yet, you know, godly men are so important, so central to raising healthy children, uh, strong families, a wise and just society. And, and, um, you know, we are not always godly men, but at our best, uh, men can provide strength and security and passion. Men can show uh, consistency to our children and use God-given gifts to point uh, our families to uh, our loving Father in heaven who is much grander and much better than we will ever be. Uh, So in the words of King David, I really like this um, psalm, As a father is kind to his children, so the Lord is kind to those who honour him. And what it's saying there is there's a connection between uh, our love for God and our love for children. That... The more we love God, the more we find our identity in Him, the more we find our security in who our Father God is in heaven, the more we are able to translate that into the way we love uh, our children, our families, our culture, our society at large. Uh, Loving Jesus uh, allows us to be fatherly here on earth. I love that connection. And obviously, the the love that God has for us... um, the love that a good father has for his children represents the love that God has for us. Uh, so look, a few years ago, I stumbled upon a story which really stood out for me as a wonderful image of fatherhood. And I saw it many years ago, actually, but when I was preparing this Father's Day uh, talk, I just I remembered and, I, and I, I did a bit of research and Uh, Google's a wonderful thing. You can find things that you heard about years ago if you keep searching uh, with the right terms eventually. And so I stumbled across this story um, about Rick Hoyt. Now, Rick Hoyt was born in Massachusetts in 1962. So this is is a while ago. And uh, tragically, he was diagnosed at birth with cerebral palsy because uh, when he was being born, his umbilical cord uh, got caught around his neck and he lost the oxygen supply to his brain and ended up severely disabled. It's quite a tragic story. Uh, and, And Rick was disabled to the point where he couldn't walk, he couldn't talk, he couldn't control most of the muscles in his body. And it wasn't until he was 11 years old that uh, with the insistence of his parents, uh, and he was able to get the, this new technology where a computer was put by his wheelchair and he was able to communicate electronically for the very first time. Imagine that, 11 years and never being able to communicate with anyone around you, and yet he was able to communicate with this um, machine. And, and in 1977, so this is the year that I was born, uh, do the maths. In 1977, Rick asked his dad, and his dad's name is Dick. Okay, so Rick and Dick, easy to remember. 
he asked his dad, Dick, if they could run together in a charity. So if Dick would push him in a charity run uh, in order to raise money for a disabled or a paralyzed athlete. And uh, his dad, Dick, had a bad heart, uh, wasn't a particularly fit man at that stage of his life, but he said yes. And after the race, and it wasn't a long race, but after the race, Rick said to his father, when we run, it feels like my disability disappears. And this was the beginning of what is now famously known as Team Hoyt. So over the next 39 years, uh, Dick and Rick competed in 1,130 endurance events, uh, including 72 marathons and six Ironman triathlons, including the World Championship in Hawaii. Like, that's an amazing story. Uh, so this is a picture of Rick and Dick uh, running the Ironman competition in Hawaii. And it's a, you know, the, the Ironman is a remarkable event for any able-bodied athlete. Um, so each contestant must compete three, uh, three legs of a grueling competition. Okay, so first there's the swim, 3.8 kilometers of swimming. Now I just went to the aquatic center today to, to do some laps, uh, and yet this was 76 laps of the aquatic center 50 meter pool. That's, that's a lot of swimming to start with. Uh, next in an Ironman comes a 180 kilometer bike ride. Now that's the distance, I looked it up, from Risdon Vale to Launceston. It's a fairly big distance. And lastly, they finish with a marathon. <laughs> 42 kilometer race. And on top of this, every single leg of the Ironman competition is timed. So if you don't make the first leg or the second leg within the allotted, the allotted time, you can't progress to the next leg of the race. It's full on for anyone. And yet Dick ran the Hawaiian Iron, uh, Hawaii Ironman competition, towing and carrying and pushing a 20-year-old son the whole way. Uh, so for the swim leg, this is Dick and Rick. Uh, Rick is in a rubber dinghy, and Dick is dragging him for kilometers and kilometers, 3.8 kilometers, harnessed uh, to his side and dragging Rick in a dinghy. And at the end of that, he gets on a bike. Uh, with Dick in a custom-made bike with a seat on the front, and he, he rode uh, from Risdon Vale to Launceston. And then he ran, pushing his son in what looked like an oversized pram, all the way to the finish line. And the remarkable thing is in each, uh, in each leg, they made it just within the allotted time, which is amazing which actually got fans and commentators and the news, kind of, this is a big news event, you know, it got everyone asking the question, if Dick could complete the race within the allotted time, pushing and dragging his 20-year-old son in tow, well then what could he do on his own? Like, what type of time could this man achieve? And when he was asked this question by a reporter, uh, this is the answer that he gave, and I think it's beautiful. Dick replied this, Alone? What would be the point? Oh, I knew I'd cry. I love this story. So for this father, completing the course was not the goal. It wasn't the achievement. You know, the, it was agonizing to go through this race and to train, but the agony was made meaningful by the fact that uh, Dick was completing it with his son. 
They did it together, they did it side by side, um, and that made the pain worth it. Uh, you know, I watched an interview, and Dick says this, he says, there is something that gets into me when I am competing with Rick. I can't explain it, but it enables me to go faster. And I think this is such a wonderful picture of what it means to be a father, what it means to be a, a godly man, uh, and to display a unique contribution of strength and tenderness, all combined together. You know, it, it combines perseverance uh, with sacrifice, determination with relationship, uh, and in this case, I'm going to talk about invitation with challenge. And I think it's a beautiful example of, of what our Heavenly Father does for us, and I'm going to talk about that more as, as we continue throughout this talk. So look, I've been talking about uh, a sermon series on discipleship uh, called A Life Well Lived. It's, it's a series about life, about discipleship, and about how to live well in the ways of Jesus. And uh, it's an unusual series. We started in uh, January, I think in February, and then we paused during COVID and, and we're finishing it off. So it's a series that has taken a bit of time to finish, but we, we're nearing the end. And it's based on John 10... Uh, 10, where Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. And I think it's beautiful that there is joy and there is peace, there is abundance in Jesus if we model our life on the life of Jesus. And as we pattern our life on the ways and works and words of Jesus, our life actually becomes different. And that is the foundation of this series. And we call all of that an apprenticeship or discipleship and apprenticeship to Jesus. So there are a number of principles that I've explained throughout this series. One is dying to self, which is foundational, because if we are to be apprentices of Jesus, we begin the journey, we enter the kingdom life by repenting and believing, by, by emptying ourselves of ourselves and putting our trust in a king who has something better in mind for us. And it is counterintuitive. It's an, a different way of thinking than the ways of the world to enter life and abundance by dying to ourselves. That's the first principle. The second principle, as we've covered, is learning through imitation. And apprentices of Jesus learn by mimicking the person of Jesus in the people they see around them who follow Jesus. If we are to be disciple makers, spiritual parents who apprentice others in the likeness of Christ, then we need to have a life worth imitating and learn to imitate the actions and practices of those around us who have gone ahead of us in faith. Uh, and that's very similar to an apprenticeship. Uh, the third principle I covered was hearing and obeying or hearing and following the words of God. And we talked about kairos moments, uh, moments in time where we can discern what God is speaking to us and learn to hear and follow uh, so that our life leads into a different trajectory because we are orientating our life around the practices and words of Christ. And last fortnight when I spoke, uh, I spoke about what does it look like to be a, live a balanced apprenticeship to Jesus. So we call that up, in and out. So up being about prayer and worship, about our relationship with our Heavenly Father, uh, who doesn't live up there, but it's, you know, it's... Uh, it helps us remember. Uh, in is about community and, and spending time and being committed to brothers and sisters in Christ. And out is about serving those outside of ourselves and loving people who don't yet know the love of Jesus. 
And so we're going to continue our theme uh, with this theme of invitation and challenge. And we see this in the life of Team Hoyt, don't we? Yeah? We see this, this concept, this principle of apprenticeship. There is a father who challenges himself and challenges his son to be the best that they can possibly be, to stretch themselves beyond people would normally stretch, to compete in the toughest of competitions, and to rough it out with those who are the best in the world. You know, that's high challenge, yeah? To stretch themselves into who God has called them to be. And yet at the same time, there was high invitation. And by high invitation, I mean, you know, what an amazing amount of dedication and love and companionship and relationship uh, what an amazing story of togetherness where there was deep relationship beyond uh, and before the competition. And I, I think it, it balances it very well. And in many ways, we respect you know, athletes who go out and they compete and they you know, win an Ironman competition. Like There is something amazing about that feat in and of itself. And yet... I don't believe that that feat speaks to our hearts and inspires us in quite the same way as a man who does it for his son. You follow? Um, and we see this in the life of Jesus. I mean, it, the, the analogy is so simple to see. It's uh, Jesus is our template of a healthy humanity, a, a healthy masculinity, of healthy manhood. And, and Jesus... Uh, calibrated invitation and challenge in the way that he made disciples and we can experience the love of our Father in heaven in just the same way. And so I want to run through a few scriptures uh, and then show how it applies to our lives today. So let's look at Matthew 16, 13 to 20. And I think this is a great example of how Jesus calibrates high challenge, high invitation in order to make apprentices. Uh, in particular, in order to stretch Peter to be the person that he was called to be. So Jesus says this, when, well, the, the scriptures say this, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, saying this to Peter, who do you say I am? And this is a turning point. This is a turning point in the account of Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew. Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. You're the God King. You know, he, Simon Peter recognized that Jesus was not just a man, that he was God who had come in human form to transform our very lives. But then Jesus continued and he blessed Peter. He said, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. Because until this point, Peter was Simon. Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. And not only that, I will give you the keys the keys to the kingdom of heaven, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, whatever you loose on earth will be loosed on heaven. So what you do on earth will impact heaven and heaven will be impacted by earth through your life. And then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. We had to work it out ourselves, I suppose. Um, 
Now, you know, it's a beautiful example of high invitation. You know, here you have Simon, an ordinary fisherman who, who is revealed through the Holy Spirit something about who Jesus is. And he's given a new name. And in a new name is a new identity. Uh, and Peter is uh, given, well, Simon is given the name Peter or Petros in Greek, which means stone or rock or foundation. Peter becomes the Petros, the foundation of Jesus' church. Like, that is an amazing invitation. Um, hell itself will not overcome Peter and the legacy that God will use Peter for. Uh, Peter is given access to heaven, the keys of the kingdom, and he is given the authority to do God's will. Like, all of this is like covenant language, it's, it's fatherly language, it's family language, it's, it's, it's very inviting, Yeah? It'd be pretty cool if Jesus said that to any of us. Uh, and Peter must have felt pretty amazed. And yet, in the very next sentence, Jesus calibrates high invitation by stretching Peter to see the world differently, uh, which is high challenge. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. So, so that the whole gospel flips at this point. And from now on, rather than simply doing miracles and revealing who he is through teaching and practice, Jesus is now saying, I am preparing for death on a cross. And he's overt and explicit that his journey now is to Jerusalem and then to Calvary and then to die for the sins of the world. It's quite a dramatic turn. And then Peter kind of, you know, Gets, gets out of, gets, says the wrong thing as Peter often does. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, never shall this happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. And then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Pretty high challenge. <laughs> now look, I, I'm, not, I'm not known as the most empathetic pastor. I'm empathetic, but not the most empathetic pastor. But, but in a pastoral context, or even any context, I've never gone up to someone when they've said something to me and said, Get behind me, Satan! I'm a bit more sensitive than that, which is good. Uh, but it's like it's pretty full on. Now, there's lots of commentators who talk about this verse. And, and, you know, in many ways, what we're seeing here is that Jesus is terrified about going to the cross. And, and Peter is actually representing the evil one in the way that he is saying, don't go to the cross. Don't take the hard road. Don't deny yourself and die for the sins of the world. You know, so there is a context here. But even so, like no matter what Jesus is saying, Peter must have been like, oh, I got the keys to the kingdom. <laughs> And now you're telling me that I'm Satan. Like it's, it's pretty full on. But, but what Jesus is trying to do is to prepare Peter for reality. And that's what challenge does. Challenge is about stretching us from our comfort and our security, breaking our schema and drawing us to be who we are called to be. And that is how we become apprentices of Jesus. It's not all bells and skittles. It requires that we die to ourselves, take up our cross and come follow him. 
And somehow Jesus just does this beautiful, it's kind of like this judo, you know, uses energy and moves, moves one thing to the next. Like he, he, he calibrates invitation and challenge constantly to, to stretch his disciples and then he embraces them. He, he pushes them away and pushes them out and then he draws them close. And somehow in that mix, we see spiritual children becoming apprentices of Jesus. And this is one of the principles of how we can make disciples in the way of Christ. It's amazing that Peter, on the one hand, is the rock through which the church will be built. And in this situation, he is the stumbling Petros, the stumbling Petros who is looking at things in a fleshy and not godly way. And we need to challenge both of those behaviors. And in the end, the story of Peter is beautiful. He does become the Petros. He becomes the rock on which the church is built, but only through these challenges and this invitation. So, if we are to make disciples, uh, or indeed be spiritual parents or spiritual fathers and mothers of our children, we need to calibrate invitation and challenge. So very uh, simply, invitation is encouragement, relationship, connection, it's unconditional love, it's embracing, it's warmth, it, it, it's this ability to, to create connection and safety and security. Uh, it's about being loyal and loving and kind. Does that make sense, that kind of that embrace? Uh, challenge is about stretching, about compelling, about calling people to be their best selves, about pushing people out and saying, go and adventure. Take risks, make mistakes and own those mistakes. Be uncomfortable because I'm going to have honest but hard conversations that stretch you to become who you're meant to be. Uh, so invitation and challenge when calibrated creates health and maturity, uh, but if you lean too far in one direction or the other, you end up stifling growth. Now, I thought this picture was a good example of both. You know, you've got that sense of connection and warmth and playfulness with the Father, but there's a bit of adventure, a bit of fear, a little bit of challenge. You know, it's that kind of, it's kind of how we parent, isn't it? And as, as our kids get older, we do more challenge, and the invitation looks different, and eventually they are their own adult, but, but um, we calibrate constantly as they grow up until they become the people they're meant to be. Uh, this, on the other hand, I think is too little challenge. Uh, the kid's kind of going, come on, Daddy, a little bit higher, I'm really bored. Or, or maybe it's kind of like, Dad, you really need to exercise because you, you can't lift me up high enough. <laughs> but either way, it's not really stretching him. Whereas this is probably too much challenge. <laughs> yeah. Now, I saw this and I thought this was Photoshopped, but then I found the, I found the video on Google and like, you see this dad throwing the kid up in the air and it's just it's hilarious. Possibly a little much challenge. Anyway, uh, so let's have a pause. I like, I like us to have moments to pause and reflect throughout a talk. What do you think about this idea of invitation and challenge? How does it relate to you uh, as you know, an adult? You don't have to have kids to, to be part of a community who raises spiritual kids. Uh, and how does it apply to you personally? Just, just pause for a minute and we'll continue. Okay, I just want to go through one uh, framework and then we'll talk about application. 
Now, a lot of people have seen this framework in our community because it's one of our founding shapes that we teach leaders and new and coming leaders uh, in, in something we call huddle, which is a discipleship vehicle where we equip people. But it's an invitation and challenge matrix, and it just, it just demonstrates this. So uh, on, on the vertical axis, you have high invitation, low invitation. On the horizontal axis, you have high challenge and low challenge. Uh, and, and what we see, are there are four quadrants, and each quadrant represents the type of culture that you create if you calibrate invitation and challenge or if you uh, have them out of balance. So in a culture where there's high invitation, lots of warmth and welcoming and low challenge, you get a cosy culture or a consumer culture. You know, people are welcome, they're loved, they're patted on the back. They're very nice cultures. You see a lot of churches which have nice cultures where everyone's kind of nice to each other, but no one will actually say the hard stuff that we need. There isn't a challenge for holiness. There isn't a challenge to support each other or to do the hard conversations that grow people to become who they are called to be in Jesus. Uh, and so you get this kind of nice club, but it, eventually it's boring uh, or it gets a bit unhealthy. Uh, does that make sense? I'm sure we've seen workplaces or churches or families that are actually a bit like this. You know, families that are always welcoming but will never say, you can't have ice cream at 12 o'clock at night and you should put your phone away. Do you know what I mean? Like that kind of high invitation, low challenge. Um, high challenge, low invitation is stress culture, okay? And so stress culture, uh, you know, typically you see this in church plants or in um, like non-profit organizations or in parachurches. Uh, you see this in corporate culture, definitely. Lots of challenge, goals, KPIs, let's stretch and do, 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 but there's not a lot of warmth and friendship uh, you're trying to compete the marathon, but you're not doing it with anyone by your side. Um, and again, you're not as productive if it's a stress culture. Uh, the bottom left is just boring. You know, it's not challenging. It's not invitational. Unfortunately, there are cultures uh, that are a bit like this. Uh, they're very traditional and people turn up simply because they just can't but turn up. But um, yeah, so obviously we're not trying to do that. And in the top right corner, you have uh, a discipling culture a learning culture or an apprenticeship culture. And, and this is obviously the sweet spot. We're trying as a community, you know, our desire is to create a culture where we are really welcoming. It's a place to belong. We want everyone here to feel like it. there's family and community and where people are welcome. Uh, and yet at the same time, we want you to grow. We want you to be more like Jesus next year than you are this year. And that requires a bit of dying to self, uh, some challenge, some prayer, uh, some stretching in multiple ways. We want to teach you to serve and love and give and to be who you're called to be. Uh, and and if, you know, if we can get to be that, well then we create a culture where people come in and they start to look a bit more like Jesus over time through immersion, which is our heartbeat to create a discipling culture. Uh, and so, I suppose in terms of how we think about this, uh, we need to reflect on our own lives. Are we, what do we like at invitation and challenge personally? Uh, think about our families. Think about our workplaces. Where are we strong? Where are we weak? And how might we be more like Jesus? So Jesus is our template. He is our paradigm for what it means to be a spiritual parent and to raise spiritual children. You know, I don't have time today, but if you, if you follow the story of Peter throughout the Gospels, it's beautiful. You have all these moments where Peter's embraced and then he's challenged. Embraced, challenged, invite, challenged, all the way up to the cross. And then even in the resurrection, you see Jesus welcoming him. Feed my sheep, feed my lambs. I love you, Peter. And you're going to be crucified upside down at the end of your life. <laughs> you know, so, whoa, like invitation, challenge the whole way through. It's amazing. 
And yet in that space, Peter became who he was meant to be. If we want to raise healthy families, workplaces and cultures, then we must follow Jesus' invitation. So to finish, I, just, I actually wanted to speak into this space on Father's Day because I think being a parent is very similar to being a disciple maker. Essentially, if we're going to create spiritual people, we're going to need to do it in a similar way to how we're going to create healthy children in our families and in our community. And I particularly want to speak on Father's Day and speak uh, specifically to the boys and the uncles and the fathers in our community. Um, And so, look, I wanted to speak to the men, firstly, in our community and really honour you. I think it's really important that we honour the men in our community and in our lives. Uh, You know, we have an important role to play and the kingdom of God needs godly, faithful men. We really, really do. Uh, We need men who love God and lead our communities and raise children who love and serve Jesus. And, you know, we are called as as men to, to provide challenge, to provide challenge by teaching our kids to pray and to learn, to read God's word, to serve, to demonstrate what it means to die to self for the good of others and to create truth and wisdom. Uh, We're called to challenge physically as well as spiritually, you know, to to take kids on adventures, to get them to climb trees, use power tools, fall down and get back up again. It was beautiful. Caleb fell off his bike today and none of us saw because he was at the back of the pack and I turned around and I was quite a way away and I come back and there was a bunch of guys hanging around him because they saw him on the bike track and uh, fixed up his bike, put some bandages on his chin. But then the guy said... Make sure you get up and you keep riding. You know, a complete stranger. I'm like, that's what a guy should do. Fall off, put a band-aid on, and then say, ride harder next time. Good on him. Do you know what I mean? Like, imitation and challenge. I'm like, you have permission as a stranger to say that to my son. Well done. I didn't have to say it. And I think if we do that, we create resilient kids, not soft and consumptive ones. It's important. Men have a role in our society, and we need to not forget that because we are forgetting it. Um, But we need to be inviting as well. We need to be loyal and consistent and loving and kind. Uh, We can be at our best like Petros, like the rock, uh, willing to sacrifice our time and our energy uh, to lovingly serve our community at large. So if you're a father or a grandfather, I speak to you and I want to say that you are the spiritual fathers of our community. Uh, and, And let's own that and raise a healthy vibrant generation of kids who love Jesus. But, but it's not just for dads, it's not just for grandfathers, it, it includes all men and, and even the boys here in the room. You know, if you're a single man uh, or if you are not yet a father, then you're a spiritual uncle, you know. You are a spiritual uncle to our community and there are a few of you here. And, uh, you know, the question is how can you invest in the younger generation so that they mature and grow in faith? How can you demonstrate a life of service, of holiness, of vulnerability, of truth, of loyalty to model what it looks like to be men of God um, in and beyond ourselves? Because we need spiritual uncles. In fact, our boys will look to the uncles in our community more than the men as they become teenagers. And we need you to be leading it by godly example. Um, and, and the sons, the boys in the room, you know, to come alongside of men and imitate. Uh, you have a role as well. 
You know, the, the, you, the younger boys are looking up to the older boys. You know, we are a community of faith who are trying to model what it looks like to become followers of Jesus uh, and also learn from those who you can follow and imitate their life, not just what they say but what they do. And lastly, the women of our community, can't leave you out, so mothers, daughters, uh, children, aunties. You know, we really do need you as well. We need you there alongside of us as men, praying and supporting and championing and encouraging us to be the best we can be so that we can lead in loving and wholesome ways. So, with all that, Jesus is our example. And loving Jesus translates into life. What might God be saying to you in this space? You know, I recognise actually, I really do recognise that many of us either don't have fathers or have fathers who have disappointed us and who haven't led as godly men and who haven't led godly lives. Uh, I wrestle on a day like this with my own family quite deeply and yet um, we know we have a loving Heavenly Father who is the example of imitation and challenge. What might God the Father, the trusted loving one, be saying to you in this space and how might you respond? What does it look like for you to say, I am a disciple maker, an apprentice maker? What does it look like for you to calibrate invitation and challenge? Pause and reflect for a minute and, um, and I want to finish with communion. Look, I'm going to finish um, with a video. And it's actually an interview with Dick, speaking about his love and his adventure in life with his son, Rick. And it speaks to me a lot about who Jesus is, about the love of a father and his love for his children. Rick? is my motivator he inspires me to me he's the one out there competing and i'm just loaning him my arms and my legs so that he can compete there's just something that gets into me when i'm out there competing with rick that i can't explain it and we're able to go faster and it, it's just an unbelievable feeling rick and i love the Ironman triathlon to be out there competing with the best triathletes in the world to be accepted to compete along with these triathletes just to be out there on that pier with all the other triathletes and then waiting in the water for that cannon to go off it, it was just so exciting the feeling coming down the finish line in a leaky drive it, it's just an awesome experience with the crowd there, all the excitement, the noise, and the announcers announcing all that, the adrenaline just gets flowing. Oh, it's beautiful, isn't it? Stand up, everyone, if you can. 
Let's close our eyes and as we move to communion, I would really love us to just listen to the Spirit of God. Lord Jesus, thank you so much that there are stories in our earth and in our world that remind us of the big story, of your story. There's something about the story of Dick and Rick that echoes the longings of our heart and reminds us of the reckless and consistent love of our Heavenly Father, the love that the Father has for us as His children. It speaks of the love of a father and of a son, a father who voluntarily sacrificed his time and his energy, his strength and his life to put a smile on his son's face, a father so in love with his child that he would give all his power and strength to lift him out of brokenness and into a place of grace. The reason the story resonates with our hearts is because deep down we know we are broken and we need someone to carry us over the finish line. And we are reminded. We are reminded of a loving God who came to earth and poured out his strength on the cross so that he could lift our broken souls onto solid ground. I'm so grateful, Lord Jesus, that you are our Father in heaven. I'm thankful that you came to earth and that you gave your life for us so that we may stand on the true Petros, on a rock that will not break. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that as we take communion, as we break bread, that reminds us of your body broken for us, your children. And as we take the glass, which reminds us of your blood shed, your blood, sweat and tears shed for us, we are reminded, Lord Jesus, that you gave everything to carry us over the finish line. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you will speak to our hearts and help us receive your grace and help us to receive your love as our Father in heaven.